Welcome to a Lunch with Biggie, a podcast about small business and creatives sharing their stories and inspiring you. My guest today is all about building community. She has successfully built and grown two different communities, two of her own, as well as trained thousands of others to create their own tribe. Please welcome blogger, author, entrepreneur, digital strategist, and most importantly, master community builder, Bess Hour. What's going on, Bess? Oh my gosh, Biggie, thank you for having me. You know, um, had I known that we were doing lunch here, I would have insisted we go virtually to one of your sandwich shops. I uh, I would love that. I would love that. And now let me ask you this, since it's usually one of my first questions. If yep. we were at a virtual sandwich shop, what would be your go-to sandwich? Well, you know, I became vegetarian a few years ago. So it took away my absolute favorite sandwich, which was a ham and cheese. Okay. So I guess I would go for a uh, portobello mushroom with uh, all sorts of arugula and yummy dressings on it. That sounds good. Usually my go-to vegetarian is like an eggplant parm uh, mm-hmm. is usually something that usually kind of what I go with. If I ever, if I ever go, I don't go too often vegetarian on sandwiches, but if I do, that's usually kind of my go-to when I go to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I want to give I want to give folks a little bit of a, a recap or at least a little bit of information for, about you and uh, and I'm going to kind of instead of you having to brag about yourself I'm going to kind of do a little bit for you just to kind of tell people a little bit um, so I met the, how I met Bess um, she started a blog she started a, a Florida blog con a blog conference um, and so when I attended her I, I basically thought I was like man this is amazing um, and then of course when I met her. I also like saw I kind of saw a little bit of her journey of where she kind of went because, you know, in 2013, she decided she wanted to be like to do blogging full time is what I remember seeing on her Facebook. Um, But what's funny is she started way before that she had a blog that by the time she actually decided to do something full time, she actually had already produced and sold. Um, her first blog, Florida, Florida, Central Florida top five. Um, she, I believe you and Joe started together the Florida Swim Network. Um, and we're working on that. At that point, you then also created Florida Blog Con. Um, and this is, you know, after you kind of being a teacher for over 20 something years, you're like, hey, I think I want to do all these things. Um, and then, of course, once you decided to do it full time, you then like hosted uh, a radio, hosted your own radio show, hosted your own TV show. Um, and then at the same time, fast forward, and um, you basically has have sold both your major concepts, um, Florida BlogCon and uh, Florida Swim Network. So right off the bat, I mean, super successful, absolutely amazing. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what you've done after the whole Florida BlogCon and selling everything. But my big first question is, what's your recipe for having been able to create multiple successful sites and a conference and be able to sell it. I mean, you're doing something right. What are you doing? Well, first of all, I think I sound like I have the worst case of ADD ever. I mean, I can't, I can't stay focused on any one thing. You know, I'm one of those people uh, I've since learned, they call it a serial entrepreneur. And that, that term was new to me. Um, I know I'm not sure I knew what an entrepreneur was while I was still teaching. So I, I taught in the classroom. I taught middle school English for 17 years. And, uh, you know, when I first started teaching, blogging was not a thing. Or if it was, nobody knew about it or had heard of it. In fact, email wasn't even a thing, I don't think. But, um, you know, you fast forward, I'm trying to teach these kids how to write authentically. And Biggie, do you have any of the stories that you wrote when you were back in school? I don't. 
Okay. Neither do I. Most people do not unless they really loved writing. And that's not a lot of people. So I was tasked with getting these kids to like writing. Um, and so I came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we write for a real audience? You know, there's nothing that says that you as a, as a sixth grader can't try and get your work published. Now, this was back when you had to actually go to the library or go to the, the bookstore and find a magazine, flip to the back, find who the submissions editor was, see what the guidelines were and submit. So I had my kids do that for several years. And you know what? They love the idea. All my boys wanted to get published by Sports Illustrated. Now, not one of them did, but they had high hopes and they would write and they would edit and they would revise and they put their hearts and souls into making their writing incredible. And so as a teacher, I saw a lot of effort and motivation there. Their writing improved, their clarity, what their goals were. They, I mean, accomplished everything I wanted to do as a teacher to teach them how to write. And then blogging came along and suddenly they no longer had to go to somebody else to get their work published. They could publish their own. So I fell into blogging through that purpose. And uh, for myself, I grew up here in Orlando, born and raised here. And so I started the Central Florida Top 5 just to kind of learn how to blog for my kids. I figure if I'm teaching them how to do it, I need to know how to do it. So that's, I, I kind of saw the technology develop. And um, I wanted to go to a blog conference to find out how to blog better. But the problem was the only blog conferences at that time, and I'm talking 2009, 2010, were in Chicago or, you know, LA or New York, someplace fabulous that I couldn't really go to my administration and say, hey, I need a few days off to travel to learn about blogging, nor could I afford the plane ticket there or afford to stay in the hotel or afford the several hundred dollar conference price. So that was out. So my husband said, well, why don't you just have a blog conference? So credit goes to my husband. So I went around to all the big bloggers I knew here. Unfortunately, we had some big ones. We had Lou Mangiello, who is at WDW Radio. We had Jeanette Johnson of Jay's Everyday Fashion. We had Rochelle Lucas from the Travel uh, Travel Bite. So we had all these really top bloggers. And I'm talking like nationally known bloggers that lived right here. And I went around to them and I like begged. I'm like, if I hold a blogging conference, would you share what you know? And they were also gracious and they all said, sure. So that was the birth of the blogging conference. Uh, it was for selfish reasons, <laughs> but the timing was right. And there were a lot of other people that wanted to learn about blogging. So I think a lot of it was timing. And in, in my book, Unio, which I think we're going to talk about, I talk about the timing of some of these communities is key. So that was the birth of Florida BlogCom, which I had the honor of having you speak at. Thank you for sharing your knowledge there. Um, but at the same time, the blog conference was once a year and I was not tied to Central Florida top five. I, I actually sold that to Brian Wilson, who was another blogger that was very interested in getting into the, the Orlando scene. He was from out of town. So it was a good way for him to make connections. Um, so I mentioned Joe, my husband, who's a swim coach and he, uh, he is poolside all the time. And if I wanted to see him or my son who was swimming, I had to be poolside as well. Biggie, have you ever been to a swim meet? Um, I have not. I see quite a few from some friends, but I've never been to one. But it's very long. It seems like a very long day. It is a tedious, <laughs> horrible, god awful, just sit around and do nothing sport. 
Now, this is coming from somebody who loves swimming. It is awful as a parent there because you wait all day long to watch your kid dive in the pool for maybe a minute and 30 seconds. And then you wait again for a couple hours and then he's going to dive in again. So they're long and boring and I don't sit well. So my husband said, well, why don't you, and get this, it was called webcasting at the time. It wasn't even called live streaming. Live streaming was not a thing. It was called webcasting. He was like, oh, you're a blogger. Why don't you put it on the web? And it was called webcasting. So we went to Best Buy and we bought, Biggie, do you remember those early webcams that look like an eyeball sitting on yes. a stick? Yes. <laughs> that was my first webcam. And we went to Best Buy, got it. I plugged it in. I guess it was the USB at the time. I don't know what we attached the computer with. And we went down to the uh, the International Drive Aquatic Center. It was called, I don't know if it was called Justice at the time or what it was called, but we went down there and Joe had a swim meet and he asked the, uh, the people that were in the swim, he's like, hey, can best, you know, webcast this? They're like, sure, we don't know what that is, but yeah, go ahead. So I sat down next to the announcer, plugged the computer in, you know, hooked up to the Wi-Fi, put the web camera on top of the speaker that the announcer was using. And every time they would go up and down the pool, I would just with my hand kind of turn and hope that I had them in sight because I couldn't see any preview of it. And anytime the announcer spoke, the, the speaker shook, so the webcam was shaky. It was probably the worst live stream in the history of live streaming. It was so, so bad. And I had a little microphone and I was kind of talking about what was going on. And I had to because you couldn't see who anybody was because it was so bitmappy. Yeah, I was going to say very grainy. It was it was so bad. Um, and we, we broadcast, I think it was called Justin TV at the time. It yep. wasn't even... Yep. So that's what we broadcast to. So all the coaches are sitting around on deck and they're like, Joe, what's Bess doing? And he's like, well, she's webcasting. And he gave them the address. And all of a sudden they start texting friends and family, hey, you can watch the swim meet. And maybe we had 300 plus unique viewers of that first swim meet. And that's when we said, oh, there's a business here. Yeah. And it will give me something to do instead of sitting up in the crowd waiting for my son to swim. So we started live streaming amateur swimming. So amateur sports long before anybody, you know, now they're always, they're always live stream. But yeah. so we started that early evolution fell into it. And because we treated those amateur age group swimmers like rock stars, we treated them like Olympians. We interviewed them afterwards. We, you know, all that. And uh, little aunts and uncles could watch little Johnny swim and grandmas all over the place. It took off. I mean, we'd have regularly 70,000 unique viewers of an age group swim meet. It wow. was crazy how the community took off. But I think a lot of it was because we treated it like community. Yeah. So the, the lessons I learned from Florida Swim Network and I learned from FL BlogCon um, lent themselves really well to me talking about community. And so uh, that's when, you know, when, when COVID happened and shutdowns happened and everything else and everybody had a little time on their hands. That's when I started uh, writing down some of the things that I'd learned to, that resulted in this book. Yeah. And that's something that I, I found, I found, I really do find the whole thing interesting. Cause like the, everything from the aspect that you were able to find something that 
you obviously were able to kind of it's kind of like you did almost like two things you got to like do blog about it but at the same time it also entertained you about it but then you also were able to connect all these other people to it um which is absolutely amazing and and you're right even though they're two different groups you created um around them it just makes sense that you you know that you did you decided to do this because obviously you're very knowledgeable when it comes to um creating these groups and these communities and these tribes um so tell i guess tell people a little bit about the unio the art of intentional community building what um and why it's so important to build a community you know so I was talking originally specifically about that originally I might have called it the big book of everything I've ever learned. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be very short because I'm like, I don't really know that much. But as I started writing, it kind of wrote itself because there really were some some universal truths about I learned when building FL BlogCon and I learned when building Florida Swim Network. You know, we we deliberately did some things. Um, and learn some things through trial and error. We, we discovered some essential things like, hey, you've got to be able to fund the community. How, you know, what kind of business model are you using? Even if it's not one that you plan on making money, it still takes blood, sweat, and tears. So how are you going to compensate your time as money? So, I mean, you know that, Biggie, from, I mean, you have this passion project that's turned into a business. You've got to be able to sustain it. So a lot of people that think of community, think of starting kind of passion projects, they forget, you got to be able to fund it as well. So what model are you going to use? How are you going to do that? Um, they forget that, and a lot of business owners forget this, you know, your customers are your community. So even if you don't think you're building community, you are, they are your community. They are the ones that say, hey, I like your vision and your mission well enough to give you money. And so nobody gives you money just because you want to make money. That's that's not why we go into business. And I actually talk about this, in, uh, with, especially with Florida Swim Network. So, you know, uh, part of Unio is really defining your why. Why are you in business? Why do you have this community? And most business owners immediately say to make money. Well, that may be a byproduct, but really you're making money through providing a service or you are fulfilling a need or you are touching on a pain point that your clients or customers have. So what is your why? So for Florida Swim Network, we thought we were live streaming age group meets. We thought that's what we did. Um, but it wasn't until later when we realized that we were actually in the business of connecting families. We had aunts and uncles and grandparents and great grandparents tuning in from all over the world. You know, Florida is a very transient state. Not a lot of people are from here. They come here for a little while and then maybe move elsewhere. So we have a lot of people from all over the world. And so what we are doing or we're doing was connecting them. We were allowing the grandmother in Ohio to see little Johnny swim in the pool live. You know, we had we had one parent, Will, Will Tabor, his mother, um, and I knew the boys just from announcing their name and they were, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 years old. They were going to a championship meet. Mom was stationed over in Afghanistan. And so she emailed me ahead of time and said, I just want to make sure you are definitely live streaming because I want to see my boys swim in their championship meet. And so she got up in the middle of the night in Afghanistan to be able to make sure she could watch her kids swim live. And she was in the chat room and I was saying, Hey, Will, mom's watching from Afghanistan. She says, good luck, you know, in your butterfly. And so I was able to do that for that mom. And then when Will got home and they all go home and watch themselves swim, he got to hear that in real time that she was watching him. So 
we were really doing a great service that was had nothing to do with swimming. And I think it's important for people to realize when they're in business, what are you actually doing? How, because it could become a little overwhelming. So like, how would you recommend for someone starting out and they like, they have like obviously a passion for something that they're creating. What are some, what are some tips or what do you think are some ideas that you would think that they should consider to try to build that community? Because obviously we're not, you know, I really do think that you sell better when you build a community rather than just saying, bye, 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 here's my stuff. But what, what, what do you recommend for something like that to kind of, kind of create that like foundation of building a community with your those people? Well, so the book Unio talks about the, the three tenets of community. First of all, you have to make sure you satisfy those. And those are the environment. Does it live? Are you in a brick and mortar store or are you an online environment? So that, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is the, um, the social environment that you provide to them. So um, do they feel valued? Do they feel included? Um, or do they have a good interaction with you when, when they're with you? And so you have to meet those, those tenants. So those basic tenants first, and the economics is the third, you know, how are you going to make sure you stay in business or stay in community? Once you've met those, so those are kind of the beginnings of it, and you have to satisfy those. You then have to think about, okay, why is somebody going to become a member of my community in the first place? And there are three reasons why people join a community. And the first one is you fulfill a basic need. So they have a want. So um, it might be um, if you're a, a diabetes Facebook group and they have diabetes, they want to get education from you. You fill a basic need by helping them stay alive, right? Or it might be self-identity. So um, I, I'm a women business owner. And so I might want to join a group that is empowering female entrepreneurs. So it might be self-identity. It might be a basic need. It might be a health need. So that's the first reason people are going to join your community. It's a want. The second is a need. Now, not all communities service needs. And I use Peloton as an example in the book. Um, Peloton is not something you have to have. It's something you might want to have. And then you have to have to financial needs to afford it. It's kind of like a Tesla. You don't need a Tesla. You might want a Tesla. If I want to be in the Tesla Facebook owners group, I got to be able to buy a Tesla. But what do I get from that? I get bragging status that I, I don't own a Tesla. I wish I did. But I get bragging status that I own it. You know, uh, ego, it fills my ego. So that's the second reason somebody might join your community. The mm -hmm. first was once, second is needs. And then the third reason is continued education. And that's what FL Blogcom provided, um, allowing people to grow, learn a new skill, grow professionally, grow personally. So your DIYs, your self-help groups, those, even that diabetes group would meet both needs, the wants as well as the continuing education. So if you meet one of those three needs, then ideally you meet all three. You can meet multiple of those three needs. But if you do, you've really set up a good recipe to then grow your community. And the final part of that is really defining your why. Everything comes back to that why. Why are you doing this? And I, I spend a couple chapters talking about your mission statement. And most companies have a mission statement. Most employees really can't tell you what it is. So it's really a meaningless mission statement. They really, you really want to take your mission statement and make it the, the soul of everything you do. And 
I explain writing that mission statement or rewriting that mission statement in a very specific way. So if you're a business, I would suggest having your owners or your C-suite people say what you do. Okay, so let's take let's take um, Tom's shoes as a good example. What does Tom's shoes do? They create shoes, right? They build shoes. Yeah. They manufacture shoes. Um, then have your employees or the ones that do the filament center or the ones that work under you explain how you do it. What makes your shoes different from anybody else's? So for Tom's shoes, they use sustainable resources. They do a lot of recycling with what they do. And then they uh, make sure they have a profit margin where they can give some another pair of shoes to somebody in need. So that's our differentiator. So they, the what is we make shoes. The how is done by the employees. How is it that it's different? And then you go to your customers and say, why do we do this? Do you know why we do this? And most people will say, hey, Tom Shoes is doing this to do good in the world. They're doing this to make a difference in the world. Now, whether that was really Tom's motivation or not, we'll never know, but that's what we think it is. Yeah. So the mission statement then becomes what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. If you can do those three things, what you do, how you do it that's different from other people, and why you do it, that then becomes all of your messaging and guides everything you do. Every piece of content you create for social, every email you send needs to further that mission. If it doesn't, I recommend don't post it or send it. It's that easy. Yeah. You, uh, so in your book, I actually have your book. Uh, I did order it and, uh, and I, one of the things I saw on it, so I do appreciate it. I, 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 I laugh because my daughter knows I'm not a huge reader, but I wanted, I, I really caught my attention and I wanted to read it. So I actually started reading it and I plan to finish it because there's a lot of information that I think I can get out of it. But one of the things that I saw that you mentioned is that obviously every group has various types of, I guess, people in their community. So you have like the teacher, the cheerleader, the helper. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about more about the naysayer um, and why, like how, I guess, like about them. What, who, what is the naysayer? I feel like the naysayer in some cases also could be your personal self from what I've seen. Um, so I kind of want to know a little bit about the naysayer and why every group has it and maybe why it, you need to have it. Who knows? I, I just kind of want to get in a little bit of I, it, it peaked my interest. I haven't obviously gotten to that part of the book, but I kind of it got it peaked my interest because I was like naysayer in a community in your own community. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the communities that I talk about, I talk about the macro communities, those that have millions of members. I talk about micro communities those that might just be a classroom or a PTA or a small business or even a family unit. And then I also talk about the community of one. So the voices that we hear in our head and naysayers are definitely one of the voices we hear in our head. So, you know, the, the, the teacher are the role models that we look up to. We incorporate what we learn from them. The cheerleaders are like your mom and dad that maybe can't help you but are really rooting for you to win. Um, the, uh, the, how can I helpers are the people that step in are like, I love what you're doing. How can I help you? Let me get to work furthering your mission. 
And then we go to the naysayers and the waiters and watchers. So the naysayers uh, really are what you, you're thinking of. They're the negative voices that are telling you that you probably cannot do this or what you're doing will not work. And they do serve an important function in the fact that, uh, so I'm a big fan of Roger Kipling's If Poem. I quoted a lot throughout the book. And there's one verse that says, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, that make allowance for their doubting too. Meaning you might know what you're doing, but you can't be right all the time. So sometimes those naysayers do serve a purpose by calling your attention to something that maybe you should be doing differently. So you want to listen to the naysayers somewhat by saying, yeah, yeah, maybe I should consider that. But you don't want to allow the naysayers to tear you down emotionally or intellectually. Oh, sorry, I've got some dogs around here. Sorry. Um, so those naysayers, you know, they're the voices that come to you and tell you, no, you can't do it or no, this isn't going to work. Yeah, consider them for a hot second. But then make sure that if you are going ahead with your plan, that you go ahead with it. Don't allow them to put those negative thoughts and that self-doubt. You know, imposter syndrome is a very real thing mm -hmm. for everybody. You hear it a lot with women, but it's there for men too. It's there for anybody that forgets that you are capable, that you do have value, you do have skills. And as long as you put that forethought, forethought into it, you go ahead and move confidently. So that's the naysayers that it's so it's funny because it leads me to my other my other question that I noticed is a big one. And it's part of, I almost want to say it's naysayer, naysayers best friend um, when it comes to a small business. And that's like the fear aspect. Um, and I found it very interesting because I had mentioned when I talked about all the different things that you did. Um, one of the things that I thought was very interesting is after you sold Florida BlogCon and Florida Swim Network, you were part of Greg Pollock's starter studio, which is like an accelerator for successful entrepreneurs in Florida. And one of the mantras of that was to fail fast and pivot. And I want you to, I want you to talk a little bit about that because like overcoming that fear, that fear, that fear and that failure um, is so big. And I also kind of sometimes think that we tend to and and correct you can tell me what your thoughts are on this when i when i think of the when i think of fail fast and pivot um i sometimes think that if you are when something is so near and dear to you um you tend to be less flexible to want to pivot versus being the ones where you're kind of like doing it and you're and you're a little bit more open-minded to be able to pivot that's why it's always easier for you to be able to tell give someone advice to someone else rather than for you to take your own advice um, so I kind of want to get a little bit about a little bit about overcoming that fear and what what that means to you fail fast and pivot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great mantra. Um, but the one thing that I think people forget is you have to divorce yourself personally from that fail fast. Um, when I talk about fear in the book, I talk about the nuclear option as one of the techniques to to overcome that. Yes, first of all, everybody has that fear of failure, right? especially when you are the founder or you're the community builder. And the word community implies other people are involved, other people know about it, right? And so there is that public display of what you're doing. And so that is where the fear comes in many times. Now, of course, there's the fear of I can't pay my mortgage, I'm gonna be homeless, you know, things like that. that. That's a very real fear as well. But the fear that I really address in the book is that public fear of, 
if I put myself out there, which you have to do when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a small business owner, when you are a community builder, you have to put yourself out there, your ideas, your vision out there, and you hope it's going to work. And failure in that arena is a very public thing. And so that brings on another fear to where one of the strategies I talk about, and it's one of my favorites that I use all the time, and it's called use the nuclear option. So for the nuclear option is those nights when you are sleepless and you're up in the middle of the night worrying about something, sit down and think, okay, what is the absolute worst that can happen? What really is? What is the absolute worst that could happen with this? I'm worried about, we'll take my book, for example. It, it launched Monday for book sales, right? And so that involved me going live and saying, hey guys, my book's available. You know, I'm really excited about it. Well, there's the very real possibility that nobody buys it or people do buy it and hate it and then go on and give bad reviews of it. And, you know, I imagine some of my friends and family might be watching to see how it does. And so there's that public fear of it. So in this case, it would be, okay, I'm up in the middle of the night, worried about my book. Okay. Nobody buys it or people start doing really bad reviews of it. And I start thinking, what is the absolute worst that can happen? Well, I'm embarrassed. I feel bad. But will life go on? Will the sun come up the next day? And will I get out of bed? And will I, you know, go on about my work? Yeah, it will. I might be a little, little embarrassed, but life will go on. And so I do the same thing with Florida BlogCon. You know, the night before the big conference, I've got 300 people showing up. Uh, for the conference the day up, what's the worst that could happen? You know, I have to go through what is the worst case scenario? Will life go on? How will I survive that? And once you kind of visualize that worst case scenario and what you will do the next day after, you know, maybe the day after, the day after, what will life be like for you? If you can visualize that and see a path through, it somehow kind of takes that fear not away completely, but it does help subdue it quite a bit. You know, that's one of the techniques. Other techniques are empower others to help you make sure you have that success net um, or that failure net uh, spread around responsibilities. So there are other things listed in the book, but the, the surviving the nuclear option is my absolute favorite for that. And I mean, and it all comes back, obviously, back to the whole idea of like having that like you said, the support network, the community, yeah. the people around you. I mean, it just kind of all makes sense um, to kind of go that route. So um, where can people, few big things, where can people follow, follow you? Because um, you are a good follow, a great follow on there. You actually, I know at one point you were one of the top followers to, to follow um, on social media. So I do remember that. Um, yeah. And then also tell people about um, where they can get the book. Um, obviously I know it's available on Amazon, but which is where I got mine, um, but tell people where they can get it. And obviously I'm going to provide all that in the, in the show notes so uh -huh. that way they can have a link to it, but, um, where can they, where can they follow and where can they get the book and, um, and, you know, follow your, follow your journey. Awesome. Yeah, I know. So the website is build with Um, you'll do the spelling down below. Cause it is a little bit of a weird word, by the way, the word Unio, um, we chose that specifically because it's a class of mollusk, a bivalve mollusk. Think of an oyster or a clam. And 
Biggie, they build their communities, their shells from the inside out, just like you and I are doing with our communities. So it made sense to make that what it is. And in Latin, unio means a coming together of people. So it it fit both ways. So build build with unio.com. And uh, the book is Unio, the Art of Intentional Community Building. And it's available exclusively at Amazon. It is self-published. Uh, Gotta Get Blogging is the one that published it. And so uh, that was actually a deliberate move. One, um, I wanted to get it out there in a timely manner. And uh, after it was professionally edited, um, I talked with my editor. I'm like, so which route? She goes, you know what? right now, I think you're good to go. So she said, you don't need the editor and advising, go ahead and self-publish it. So uh, I loved doing the self-publishing route, but it does mean that all the publicity falls to me to do, but it would if even even for published authors now uh, with publishing companies. So amazon.com is where you find it. You can follow me on Twitter at Bess underscore hour. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned a couple years ago, I was, I think, oh, can you hear that? Yes. Do you know what that is? No. Amazon. Quiet. Our Alexa is named Amazon. So she just started playing. <laughs> Hilarious. At any rate, um, a couple of years ago, uh, best business person to follow on Twitter, thanks to the Orlando Business Journal. But I'm not sure if that's still true or not. But you can find me best underscore hour on most of the social media. So that's where you can find me. Tweet me. I'll tweet you back. For sure. For sure. I I will say Bess is amazing um, in that aspect. She definitely, uh, I definitely felt um, very much part of her community and, and I love um, everything that she's done to kind of create that community for others to kind of actually do things and learn things. So um, what's amazing about the book um, I will say is the fact that you not only have your own experiences, but you actually give great examples um, from different other people who have actually done it. So you've actually can see a bunch of other small businesses, large and small um, doing it, which I think is an amazing, uh, it's always great to be able to see those, um, those thoughts into action, uh, especially done by others um, as a great example. So I think it's a, it's definitely a wonderful, uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. I will be sitting down to read. My daughter will be very happy with the see me read um, and I, and I will get something out of it and hopefully be able to make and build my community better because um, as much as I love my community, I know I can do, be doing better and doing much more. Um, so I definitely am looking forward to reading, uh, finishing up the reading the book, The Unio, The Art of, in, of Intentional Community Building. Um, you know, you're one of those people that I interviewed. I, you, I am. I did see myself in there. I, I will say I did. Uh, I did peek myself to see where I was in the book. Uh, so I do. Uh, I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think it's a. It's something that obviously I think it's, I'm a huge proponent of community building. So I definitely, that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I knew I needed to get the book, just because um, I think that it's something that not many people appreciate or understand when they're building a business. Um, And I just think it's so important. I mean, you just, I don't know, I love, I love my sandwich eating community. So it's to me that I think it's so important to be able to kind of be able to wait, find ways to improve it and make it better. Um, so it's definitely, so I do appreciate best you taking the time, um, to tell everyone and to take some time to speak with me, uh, today. Um, it means a lot because we've had quite a long history and I, and I, and I definitely love our, and appreciate our friendship and your mentorship as well. So, um, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, well, Biggie, you know what? I am constantly inspired by the things that you do with your community. Uh, I think, so you're, you sell yourself short sometimes. I mean, you are an award-winning 
a blogger and community builder. I mean, you, I know uh, for the Sunshine Blog Awards, I think Best Design, I mean, you've won, won one or times. two of them. Yeah, I won yeah. a few times, yes. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, you are one of these that I think is probably more in touch with their community, their your community's wants and needs. You know, you satisfy both of those very well. Uh, clothing, can't get much more basic than that. Yep. But you have the cool factor that puts the wants in there. And you go to your community to find out what they want. I mean, you don't just do sandwich shirts. You you incorporate, I mean, I love the Miami Dolphin one. Yep. I mean, you have, you know, all sort of the PB&J one. I mean, you do some really, really cool things in there that your community eats up and you only know that by that constant engagement with them. And uh, I appreciate it. And yes, I am. Uh, I will say that I'm not very good, <laughs> very good at, uh, at taking or looking at it that way, but with, and that's okay with me. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm trying to get better at it, but so I do appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. And on that wonderful note, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for best hour to have lunch with me today. Um, definitely make sure to check her out online. Obviously, check out her book, Unio, The Art of Intentional Community Building. Um, I believe she even has like a program that she's going to be available in 2022 to actually be certified, correct? I think I saw that on the back of the book. Yeah, um, yeah. That's launching uh, 2022. You've become a master community builder. It's a program that'll get you Unio certified. Fantastic. So um, if you enjoyed the show, definitely make sure to subscribe. Make sure you tell your friends, spread the word. Um, if you want to support me, check out my brand, Deli Fresh Threads, and do some shopping and tell your friends there, of course. Thank you. Until next time, keep eating sandwiches and follow your passion. Thank you, everyone.